scripture reading today is found in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Let us hear the word of the Lord. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses told them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for their water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, ahead of our discussion of the state of the UMC and disaffiliating churches, I'm going to be preaching on this passage from Exodus. This is the third and the final time I'm going to try to tie our present struggle over human sexuality to the scripture lesson. Now, I've I've been doing this. I've not chosen these scriptures in the past month simply to support any argument, but these are, according to the Revised Common Lectionary, the recommended passages for each week's preaching and teaching. I'm doing this to demonstrate to all of you how one can read Scripture and draw from it a variety of meaning and perspectives on just what it is that we need at any given moment. So before I begin, let me pray for the hearing of our message. Holy Spirit, surround us here in this hour of worship. Free our minds, expand our thinking, change our hearts, and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts combine, pleasing to you, O Lord. You are our rock and redeemer. Pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you know, this is a difficult subject, and and we've been talking about it for so long that it's almost become ingrained in our psyche, and so I pray that we'll be freed from this soon, after this month of, of looking to see what scriptures speak to it, I pray that I won't ever have to talk about it again. But it is an important thing for us to recognize and to discuss. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that that might seem a little bit unusual as you listen to the sermon. 
And later, as we have a more direct and detailed discussion of, of churches that are disaffiliating and the reasons why, I'm going to ask you to stretch yourselves a bit. To let go of any preconceived ideas that, that may have you stuck in only one perspective. You know, sometimes the best way through a difficult situation is to simply confront it head on and then be open to whatever it is the Spirit may speak to you. Our lesson today in Exodus has to do with water. There just doesn't seem to be enough of it. And so Moses is leading the Israelites through the desert, and it isn't surprising that water is scarce. But now, you see, the problem has become so desperate for the people of Israel, they fear of what will become of them in this dry time and place. For most of us living here in the U.S., we never really need to worry that much about water. Even for those of us who are adventurous enough to journey out into the wilderness, we always have enough water to take with us. And if we do run low, there's always a convenience store or a fast food restaurant within a short distance. But occasionally we do face the unexpected. Forest fires, storms, earthquakes can disrupt our access to sufficient drinking water. And areas of our country are now entering times where water is becoming more scarce. And so we need to conserve. And that is all a real threat to our well-being. Water is essential to life itself, right? What's that old adage? You can go nine days without food, but you can only survive three days without water, something like that. Water is one of the most critical needs of human existence. Ranks right up there with air. So no wonder... When we experience a lack of water, it frightens us so much. That's what's happening with the Israelites. Water has become so scarce that they've become afraid of dying out there in the desert. Now, we don't really know where Rephidim is, though many have ventured a guess but wherever it is, we know that it's a dry and arid place. And so the panic set in. Instead of, of questioning whether there would be water, instead of showing concern for where the Israelites would drink, they quarrel. They go right to impeachment of their leader, Moses Give us water to drink. Now what's hidden in the English translation of that statement is the level of complaint. The word that's used in Hebrew is R-I-B, rib, which is, means just simply to file a complaint. But what's actually happening here is that they're calling for new leadership. They want Moses replaced because he's failed to bring them enough water. 
Maybe they were just dehydrated. Don't know. Or maybe this was a, a holdover from a couple chapters ago in Exodus when they experienced much the same problem. But now it seems rather excessive. The Israelites issued an ultimatum. Give us water or we'll get rid of you. And so what happens? Moses yells back that by challenging his leadership, they're actually challenging God. And how dare they distrust the one who rescued them from slavery. But then the people respond by saying, you call this a rescue? You've brought us out here to die in the wilderness, and our children and our animals are dying too. Now right here is where I'm going to ask you to stretch your mind a bit. So far in this story, I've been telling you about water, about H2O, and the physiological need of our bodies to have enough of it. That is the perceived fear. But the real danger is not the lack of a critical substance like water, but it's the Israelites' reaction to this perceived danger. The real danger is not lack of water, but lack of faith. They question God's faithfulness in Moses, whom God chose to lead these people. And they demand a change in leadership if they don't get what they want. They react to a perceived fear that the God who brought them out of slavery, and notice that this passage Judy read for us begins with, from the wilderness of sin. That same God would allow them to die of thirst. Their perceived fear has overwhelmed their thinking. And they have now directed their anger at the only target they can find, Moses. And even Moses himself suffers a bit from this fear as we hear him in turn complain to God that he's about to be stoned. It's a real mess. Now the parallel that we can find to this story is our present response to this, this, the, the struggle of dividing our church into two groups. One would reject LGBTQ people outright, and the other, quite a few people fear, would force them to change their personal beliefs. In both situations, it's clear. It's clear to see that when our essential needs, and that includes spiritual needs, are threatened, well then, trust collapses. The community begins to erode when survival is at stake, and when you move into survival mode, well, then no one acts graciously, and we abandon our God in the midst of, of the crisis. You know, this morning as I was driving down to, to Sebring, I was listening to the radio and, and a little news thing came on. You know, tonight is the Academy Awards, right? 
We all remember what happened last year, don't we? And so on this little news tidbit, they said that tonight at the Academy Awards, they have a crisis intervention team standing by. Made me laugh. I thought to myself, you don't know what a crisis is. This is a crisis. Israel has threatened a change in the leadership and the leader questioned their right to complain. That's a crisis. And we're really no different. We're driven to defend our beliefs. We are protective of our rights to exercise our religious freedom. And so when we're confronted by such an intense threat to our faith as LGBTQ perceptions, we respond just as the Israelites did. We demand a change in leadership. The result is that no one acts especially godly under these circumstances. Well, no one except God. Those who have made and those that will make the unfortunate decision to leave the United Methodist Church for a new denomination are deceiving themselves that the issue surrounding human sexuality will go away. That they'll not need to deal with it any longer. The reality is that they are abandoning the covenant to love and care for all people regardless of who those people are. God will not forsake anyone because of sin. He's already dealt with that once and for all. It's, it's no longer an issue. And as for how we in the church deal with it, we don't need to be concerned either. Because God will judge us all one day. Now, the thing that we need to remember is that no one is being forced to change what they believe. Everyone, I do mean everyone, should expect the same treatment by the church as that which God delivered by grace. So how did God respond to the Israelites' demands for water? He provided water. Imagine that. God gave the people what they asked for. And he did it with tolerance and grace. That's pretty astonishing when you consider that at that moment, these people were deep in sin towards God. But he forgave them. That's an important thing to keep in mind. Just like the Israelites, we want to receive God's care and protection, his provision and blessings. But we want these things on our own terms. We want to know that we are blameless in our living, but we cannot tolerate being too far out of our comfort zone. And so in our minds, we manufacture limits of how far we're willing to go in meeting God's offer of grace. It's a human 
failing. You see, we don't want the same grace we receive to be offered to someone who we believe is guilty of sin. Well, here's the news. This way of thinking turns our faith into a utilitarian religion. A religion in which God is judged by the desired outcomes of the community. When God heard the plea of Moses to relieve Israel's suffering, God responded by telling him to go on ahead to take some of the elders of Israel with him and to take the staff with which he had struck the Nile. God said, I will be there standing on the rock at Horeb. I don't know about all of you, but some may find it nearly unbelievable that God would actually make an offer to stand before Israel. Most of the time, it's the other way around. We're the ones who are standing before God. Most often fall on our knees and beg forgiveness. Forgiveness of the one who created us. We stand before God to confess our sin and receive judgment. But here in Exodus, God stands before the people that they might know God's mighty power and receive what it is they need most, water, living water, and the knowledge that God is with them, that God hears them, and that God is concerned for their well-being. If we, who call ourselves faithful followers of Christ, respond to a quarrel in the church by starting yet another church in the belief that we are somehow standing up for our beliefs, well, then we are just ignoring God who has been standing before us to show us the way. Our lesson here in these Verses of Exodus, as usual, have many layers. First of all, the passage loudly proclaims that God will provide. And God provides not because of the worthiness of the recipient, but because of the holiness of the giver. Secondly, as those who are called to represent God, how we respond to human need in the world reflects not just on us, but on the God we proclaim. Our response is not just in the meeting of the need of some, but in the meeting of the needs of many. In fact, of everyone. With grace and the same love God offers us. When we try to fit God into our own interpretation of who God will provide for, then we damage the witness of the church. But that said, the churches and the pastors and everyone who will depart from membership 
in the United Methodist Church have not become our enemies. They're still our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called to love them and care for them just as always. Because this is a season. Our church has been through many changes, many quarrels, breakups, and makeups. We exist in the world just as we reflect the world and what's happening in it. But we cannot allow that to distract us from our mission. Nor should we fear what has not happened. We must put on the armor of God, as the Apostle Paul likes to say, but not to do battle with one another, but to protect our faith from being tainted by evil. We should never let our thirst overwhelm our faith. Well, it is a difficult subject, and it is a mess. But I've said all these things today because this is what I firmly and truly believe in my heart. It's true that Christians far and near are in peril. But we have nothing to fear if we remain in Christ's love. Amen.